Welcome to another episode of Morbid Message Monday. I'm going to just keep talking until this black screen disappears and you see our shining faces. There it is. It's all right. It'll all be cut out in the edit. No, no, no. Leave that in. That's kind of fun. Oh, you want me to leave it in? All right. Yeah, right. You know. All right, it's go ahead. It's a mess. Everything you on our think. channel's a mess. Welcome so to okay. Tech Mess, the show that lives up to its name. Yeah, very much so. Hi, hi right. Tech Mess. The moment you've been waiting for. Labor Day. A day to celebrate the triumphs of the working class. A day to relax, recline, and maybe even have a barbecue. But today we're talking about something a little more morbid. Since capitalism began, workers have been involved in many things. The right to unionize, the abolishment of child labor, and the lesser-known tragedies of the workplace. This Labor Day, we're bringing you the top five wildest and disastrous workplace incidents and accidents. Because this is Morbid Message Monday, a show brought to you by Tech Mess, about all the ooky, the spooky, the paranormal, and the horrible, and the downright strange things that have happened in the world we inhabit. My name is Matt. And I'm Jake. So without further ado, let's jump back into the thing that I didn't change the name on. <laughs> I read that, I was like, he's gonna say it, he's gonna fucking say it. Without further ado, let's jump into this special <laughs> Labor Day episode of Morbid Message Mondays. Yes. <laughs> All right. We start our journey here, thanks to the wonderful people of Pocketstop.com. On January 10th of 1860, the Pemberton Mill was considered a marvel and one of the most expensive engineering projects in New England at the time. The mill was built by John Lowell and his brother-in-law, J. Pickering Putnam, at the cost of $850,000 which at the time was considered a pretty large fortune. Yeah. I mean, even that's like probably close to billion now. I mean, yeah, like it's at, it's many, at the very least high millions in it's, 1860. Yeah. What is mm -hmm. that? What do you think that is? That's, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the uh, inflation 1860 that would be. to 2021 inflation. I'm sorry. I have to look it up. I am this curious. Part of the I was podcast. curious when I wrote this and I forgot to look it up. One dollar in 18... Uh, sixty. What was it? Eight hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you guys are curious too. Calculate. Um, that would be about twenty-seven million nine hundred fifty-eight thousand one hundred and thirty-eight fifty-five. That was expensive. That was a big expensive project. That's Bezos money. Let me tell you one thing right now. This is this is a mind blower. Okay, one dollar. In 1860, is $32.89 today. Holy shit. Weirdly, though, I thought it would can be go, more. Can I go back in time with what I have <laughs> I in my bank account right now? I know, and right? Just live like a rich <laughs> asshole. We, we would live, yeah, we would be very rich. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, that's, that's all fun. The mill was constructed by the Essex Company and supervised by Captain Charles Bigelow, a very highly regarded engineer at the time with the experience in the construction of dams and canals. Why you would hire somebody who is a specialist of building a dam or a canal is honestly beyond me. Why would you hire them for a, a mill? Honestly, sounds like idea. It's, it sounds yeah, it sounds like, you know, you're very good at building one specific type of thing. Let's let him branch out into this $27 million project instead. You can dig a hole. Build my yeah. building for me. Yeah, you can You can dig a hole. You know how to do that. You're basically a beaver. Beavers can build buildings. Yeah. Beavers build buildings. 
Beavers boisterously build buildings <laughs> biologically. In 1857, the mill was sold during a financial panic to George Howe and David Nevins for $500,000. During this time, they, fuck, that's a steal. During this time, <laughs> he saved a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. It cost 850000 Damn. That is a steal. Uh, during this time, the partners crammed thousands of pieces of equipment, including spindles and looms into the facility, which in turn earned them about $1.5 million extra a year. But on, yeah, 100%. But on January 10th, in 1860, things took a turn for the worse. The mill collapsed with 800 mill workers, including women and children, trapped inside. Dozens died within minutes, and 600 remained sealed in the rubble. Rescue went from early morning to late in the evening as they lit bonfires to light their way to find more survivors. It's said that fires illuminated the horrors of the crushed and unrecognizable workers who did not survive the collapse. Around 10 p.m., two men from the rescue teams climbed through a crevice crevasse <laughs> into the twisted and ruined five-story facility to rescue a trapped woman. In doing so, one of the men's lanterns broke and rained fire upon the cotton waste and broken wooden beams, some of which was soaked in oil. The Boston Globe had reported that 14 people burned to death as their families and loved ones watched, unable to do anything. And by midnight, those few left in the rubble fell silent and the rescue was abandoned. Not much is known about the collapse, but the primary theory is that large, the large windows and thin walls created the perfect storm for the collapse. A jury at the time found Charles Bigelow responsible for the collapse because he allowed the use of malformed cast iron pillars to be used in this construction. However, he denied knowledge of this. Okay, let me just, let me just, let me just say something. How are you going to use malformed cast iron pillars? Okay. First of all, yeah. dangerous by itself, right? Horrible right. idea. I, I understand the industrial revolution and like things are different or whatever. And maybe there wasn't as much regulation on this shit. But then you're going to deny the knowledge of it. You're so fucking full of shit. If you'd think that anybody believes that you didn't know that those were malformed. If you did so any sort of part of your job, which was overseeing the construction of a $27 million in today's money building, mm -hmm. you should have known better than, well, not even known better, but you knew. That's the thing, right? You knew. Right. So fuck you. <laughs> so it's funny because there was, um, there was actually a lot of very good information about this disaster. And uh, one of one of the horrible things that was reported was uh, one person was talking about he was rescued and he was mm -hmm. talking about once the fire broke out, there was a man that he was watching that literally slit his own throat because he didn't want to burn to death. Oh, my because God. Because there was no chance of being rescued. My Facebook and story like, is a, a lot darker than I thought now. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, oh my God, it is. I didn't even think about that. You used that song. We um, didn't start the fire. <laughs> it was always burning. So you slit your own throat. Um, but, <laughs> but um, one of the things I left out is that when they were lighting these bonfires, uh, mm -hmm. not only did it, you know, did they see the horrors, but they went into detail about like what they saw. And like, 
I think the article quoted it as seeing the unrecognizably destroyed and dismembered bodies of the workers. That's a way to put it. By fire. Eliminated by last. I mean, this is 1860. So yeah, you can't see. You got a bonfire, and you're stepping over dead people. If you followed us this far, you know that mines are a recurring thing on our show. Well, this next story is no exception, because on May 1st, 1900, the United States witnessed one of the worst mining accidents ever recorded in Schofield, Utah, in the Winter Quarters Mining Range. The Winter Quarters Mine was a large coal mine located in Utah, home to a few hundred workers, most of which were doomed to lose their lives on that day. Coal mining in the 1900s was very unregulated. There weren't many safety rules or backup plans. It was just a bunch of men and children going deep into the earth to bring back precious coal. This particular disaster happened in the number four mine of the Winter Corners mine range. That morning, many went about their business and descended into the mine, never to return. A few hours into the workday, an explosion shook the hills near the mine. A small powder keg had been ignited inside the mine, and the explosion caused a chain reaction that killed over 200 men and children instantly. The explosion normally would not have been nearly as bad, but because there were no ways at the time to evacuate the mines of dust and debris, the flames from the keg ignited the coal dust-rich floor and air. Few survived the initial blast, only to suffocate under the toxic gases created from the burning dust and debris. That sounds fucking horrible. Awful. That just sounds awful, and I don't... Ugh. Mm -hmm. You just watched all your friends get exploded... And then you and get then to you, suffocate. You get to suffocate on the toxic gas, like wishing you were the one that was like just shot in the street. Right. This one was bad because there weren't many survivors to this. Like that explosion. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like it, man. Yeah, that explosion kind of took everybody out, uh, especially in a coal mine. And I was looking it up to just kind of figure out like, you know, what is coal dust exactly? And it is, it's just powdered coal, which, you know, we burn for power. So soon as that went off, it was just game over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the people of Schofield rushed to the mine to try to save as many as possible, but their efforts were futile, as it became a mission to recover the bodies of those lost due to the destructive forces of the blast. Because of the blast, all those who lost somebody, the company agreed to pay $500 to all the widows and the mourning mothers of those lost. They also made sure to wipe clean the miners' debts from the company store. Now, that's just the nicest fucking thing you could ever Oh, look at that. How pleasant. So great. Oh, Along with that, they covered... Right. All those people, you don't have any debt. And it was only like $8,000 worth of debt, like, combined for the entire mine. Yeah. So they wiped that clean. They're like, it's okay. You don't have to pay that. And here's 500 bucks, which I guess at the time was a lot of money. But, man, that sounds just like... Here you go. Go away. Yeah. Here, just, just shoo. Shoo flies. Shoo. It's like as Get if the here. Amazon warehouse burnt down and everybody died. Yeah, pretty much. I guarantee they do some <laughs> shit like that. Here's 500 bucks. Yeah, and an Amazon gift thousand. card. It's Amazon only money. There you go. You can only spend it with us. Along with this, they covered all the costs of the funerals and the coffins, which due to the casualties had to be shipped by train to cover the demand because the town simply didn't have enough. And because of the casualties, this was considered the worst mining disaster in the United States. After the incident, mining regulations started to become more common, 
including trained first aid squads to respond to such events. What a thought. Oh, good idea. Have somebody who can run into the mine to save people. Not that you... The reality is, is like coal mining is horrible. And we have like very complicated systems now to evacuate that coal dust and like clean the mine as they're pulling it. But back then, like you're not saving anything. Yeah. Like there's just nothing to be saved. So that's, it, it was the worst mining disaster that we've had in the country. No, that was, day, that was? I thought the other one was that we went over. Yeah, apparently this one was. So I kept, I looked it up on a couple different websites and this is considered the worst one because of the casualties. Uh, how many casualties again? Say it one more time. 200. 200. Men and children. So there were kids in this mine that were blown to pieces. Wait, oh, you know what? I remember the mine we were t- that I was talking about. I don't remember which one it was because, you know, my brain. But <laughs> they said that they couldn't get a good measurement because they knew that there were women and children also in there. And they could that is true, do yeah. that. Yeah, this one they said it so was it's 200. Possible. I, it's possible like, yeah. that they're both equally awful. Right. Um, yeah, I think the official number was like 160 were killed by the blast and the other 40 suffocated. Isn't that wonderful? That's terrible. <clears throat> well, happy Labor Day. And speaking of Labor Day, so far, mines have proven time and time again to be some of the worst places to work. But this sticky situation is one we couldn't pass up. On one fairly normal January afternoon, an explosion ripped through the Purity Distilling Company on Boston's North End. The explosion was followed by one of the more bizarre workplace disasters. That afternoon, a massive explosion erupted on the job site. With that, followed a tsunami-like wave of nearly 2 million gallons of molasses. The sticky wave of terror was said at the time to be moving... (laughs) I'm sorry, my writing on this was perfect. That's writing. God bless it. I'm going to try again. That afternoon, a massive explosion erupted on the job site, and with that followed a tsunami-like wave of nearly two million gallons of molasses. The sticky wave of terror was said at the time to be... (laughs) Fuck you, I'm not doing it again. To be moving at a speed of... I'm going to move off frame. (laughs) Okay. The sticky wave of terror was said at the time to be moving at a speed of nearly... (laughs) Uh, God damn it, I just see you cackling up there. Jesus fucking Christ. I'm trying not to. The sticky wave of terror was said at the time to be moving at a speed of nearly 35 miles per hour, flooding the facility and most nearby streets. The flood killed at least 21 people, and more than 150 were injured as a result of the explosion. That's what I call a sticky situation. <laughs> it's just about like, if you've ever worked with molasses, it doesn't move that fast. So you yeah. had 35 miles per hour tsunami of molasses coming toward. Like, how do you not die? So the music, the the music that you see when the molasses is coming out of the van, boom, 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 I was I was dying when I found this one because like it just sounds like it's horrible because somebody died, like people died, 
but molasses. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, a distillery blows up, a sticky wave of terror flies out, and just engulfs everything in its way. Right? Because like, I wasn't paying attention when I wrote that, and I'm so happy it turned out that way. <laughs> sticky wave of terror. Unless it's hot. I mean, that is fair. Anyway. So we get into that. Yeah, we do get into that. Early investigators determined the explosion was caused by two factors. One being the tanks that stored the fluid were nowhere near built to contain the weight of molasses, of the molasses, and two, that fermentation gases had built up so much it caused failures in the tank welds, leading to the incident. It's possible fewer people would have died, but overnight temperatures had dropped and caused molasses to become more viscous and difficult to maneuver through. All in all, it took several weeks to clean up the massive spill, and people claim it took decades to clear the aroma left by the molasses in the air. I bet, like, after they cleared it, they were, like, finding their pets and, like, all sorts of horrible Just shit. stuck to the concrete. Just, yeah, stuck to the concrete. I'm sure none yeah, of the so pets were alive, which is making me sad. I thought I added this in there, but the, the molasses, back then, the molasses was sitting in these tanks, and um, during the day, it softened because, you know, it's hot outside. Of course. Uh, so because it was hot, because it was softened, it moved a lot faster. But like just the thought of a wave of molasses, like what do you do when you see that? Extra, extra, read all about it. Sticky wave of terror attacks the town. <laughs> there were some pictures of the factory. It was it was decimated. I mean, it attacks like, the it town of Boston. Looked like, it looked like a volcano had erupted and it looked like magma was like had just like solidified over it. But it was yeah. molasses. Oh my God! Can you imagine that newspaper? Though they probably had so many horrible sticky puns to throw it in there. The Purity Distilling Company found itself in a sticky situation. <laughs> I can't imagine how, like, oh my God, cleaning that up for several weeks. Several and weeks. And how? How do you even clean it up? Be? Like, just, I don't know. I mean, like, listen, the the town of Boston probably smelled like a Yankee candle. For like months, <laughs> but I get tired of Yankee candles too. Explosions on land are one thing, but on water, well, things get a little tricky. This next workplace disaster became the center of debate for an industry that's no stranger to controversy. It was even made in one of my favorite disaster films. This disaster film, of course, is Deepwater Horizon and the this, oil this disaster film. What say that one more yeah, time? Yeah, the film. This disaster, of course, is the Deepwater Horizon oil rig explosion. Good God. On April 20th, 2018, Deepwater Horizon was drilling off the coast of Louisiana. On a normal day, the rig would pull oil from the ocean floor with its maximum drill depth of around 30,000 feet. Those who know oil drilling know the possible outcomes of said drilling, good and bad. But on this night, something horrible happened. A bubble of methane was released from the drilling tunnel and quickly began to travel up the drill path, gaining size and speed. The gas bubble passed through multiple seals and barriers before reaching the surface and causing a massive explosion. In offshore drilling, these events are called blowouts, and they're nothing to be played with. No, explosion they're not. Yeah, it's, it's a horrible situation. Like, if you do survive, it's a horrible situation because not only is it messy because the back blast and amount of oil that it pulls is just insane. But you're talking about, it, it's basically an explosion without initial fire. The explosion quickly created a massive fire on board in the floating vessel. 
Distress calls were sent out immediately. The disaster destroyed the vessel and killed 11 workers who were never recovered. A search and rescue mission was launched after the blowout was contained and it spanned over 1,900 square miles. But on April 29th, the search was called off and the memorials were held for those who were lost. I, this you is, know, I saw this movie. Okay. Yes. And I, isn't Mark Wahlberg in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was Mark, can I can I go off on a tangent? Just forget about this whole go horrible disaster. Yeah, go off Mark on a Wahlberg is a busy guy, and I understand that. Yeah, but I'm getting so tired of the typecast Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg character. He's always the disaster. He's always the biopic. And he's like, just guy. Like it, but it's like okay, he's from Texas, right? Right. Okay. Mark no, Wahlberg. no, 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 He's from Boston. He's no, from no, Boston. no, 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 not the guy. Oh, you're talking about the guy from, the, yeah, he's the, from the Texas. The person he plays is from Texas. Yes. But he fucking talks like this the whole time. Yeah. As if, like, did he move from right. Boston to Texas? Like, Or can you just not act any way other than Mark Wahlberg? And listen, like, I know, I know Mark Wahlberg has, like, a crazy fan, fan base and people love him and whatever. Mm -hmm. But I just get so tired of, like... Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's okay, Mark Wahlberg has a daughter in a movie, so he's going to be yeah. that dad who's like, don't touch my daughter. <laughs> I'm Mark Wahlberg. And I just get tired of it. Right? And like, okay, this movie was solid. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, no, I'm not, a, I'm not pooping on the movie. movie but yeah, why? Movie. Like, Mark Wahlberg is lauded as an actor. Right? I think at the time, he was like that super popular one that everyone was trying to get. And now that's starting to die off. But he's still kind of that way. I he mean, still he's is. still he's doing another you know, one right now. Exactly. <laughs> he keeps coming out with them. Right. I miss it's the time where Liam Neeson movies. Liam yes. Neeson was the, was the hot ticket and Liam Neeson he is was. great. Okay. Yes. I didn't realize how much I like Liam Neeson until I started watching his offshoot movies. Oh dude. Like, um, like what is the it? The, the, the one where he was a train, like he was on a train and like he had to stop everything on the train, a movie. No one gives an absolute oh. fuck about. And I was like, this is sick. This is action-packed, no, and this is fun. The last one I watched with him was uh, where he uh, he lives up in the mountains, and he's a snowplow guy. Oh, ice, also like, ice, ice Road. Road Ice. Yeah, Ice Road. That was ice that road. was one of my favorites that he did. We totally just we split really off on a heavily, weird tangent. Yeah, I went off on a Mark Wahlberg tangent because I don't think he's as good as everybody makes him out to be. He has a crazy workout routine that I saw. It was ridiculous. And so I don't know. He he hits the dude bro like turbo alpha Joe Rogan stereotype at this point, and I'm fucking tired of people like that. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. All right, I'll bring it back. I'm bringing it Ivermectin. back to the podcast. Ivermectin does not Ivermectin. help anything. Yeah, Ivermectin. All right, it's bring it back to the podcast. Warmer. <laughs> um, this is this is one of those things. Like when this like this this happened in our in our. Very recent lifetime. Yeah, like, no, this wasn't too long ago. 2018 was not like, wasn't too long ago. So I we could do a whole episode this. about just oil rig explosions. Oh God, we need to. We should. Um, Maybe a little. But, we need uh, to stop doing too many disasters because yeah. I want to get some paranormal shit. I just couldn't. No, paranormal next week for sure. We just today was special because you know Labor Day. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Labor Day. Deep therefore, horrible horrible work things. Right, horrible things that happen at work that you shouldn't. <laughs> ever experienced don't work in a mine people no and don't work on an oil rig for fuck's sake <laughs> or anywhere but, um, dangerous right just and go that work leads in us 
That leads us to our final workplace disaster. And it, ta and it takes us to a small town in West Texas at the West Fertilizer Company on April 17th, 2013. The company known locally to produce, store, and sell shit to distributors was having a normal work day. <laughs> As most places in today's episode were. But on this day, things would go very, very wrong. On that Wednesday morning, a small fire broke out of the facility as workers moved to call for help in containing the fire. 20 minutes later, a fireball erupted in an explosion with the force of 7 to 10 tons of industrial TNT blasted the work site. The blast created a massive 93-foot-wide crater within the site and completely decimated what was left of the factory. The explosion resulted in 15 deaths and countless injuries. But what's more upsetting is no one knows who or what was the cause of the fire. The explosion wasn't just contained to the area heavily damaged. A nearby middle school and the West the and the West Rest and the and the West Rest Haven Nursing Home nearby, causing student what what is happening? Hold on, let me let me try to reread this again. Dad, I didn't have time to proofread. The explosion wasn't just contained to the area it heavily damaged. A nearby middle school in the West Rest Haven or in the West Rest Haven Nursing Home nearby caused students and residents to be evacuated, many of whom had to be treated for cuts due to flying glass debris. The explosion also destroyed a nearby apartment building. <laughs> that's a big that's a <laughs> the nearby apartment building causing residents to be turned away from returning to their homes at the end of the day. Nobody the died from the apartment. That's fucking amazing. They were all at work. That's amazing. Yeah. A working town in, in the working town in West Texas. The explosion also brought to light the facility only had insurance up to $1 million in damages, <laughs> which was decided wouldn't even come close to covering the cost of said damages. This incident caused Texas to adjust laws that allowed fertilizer storage facilities to carry minimal, if any, insurance in the future due to the sheer destruction that was caused by the event. And with that, we end our stories for tonight. Labor Day is a day to allow us to rest and relax, to spend time with the family and loved ones. And now it may just be a reminder of how absolutely awful people who worked in places before us may have had it. Thank you for joining us on this special holiday episode of Morbid Message Mondays, and we hope to see you soon. But with that, I'll leave you with a friendly reminder to like and follow us for more. And we wish you a very happy Labor Day, timely viewer.